If you would take your scriptures, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 21. Ephesians 5, 1 through 21. Would you give ear to the reading of God's word? Therefore be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be named among you as is fitting for saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, or covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful to even speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. Therefore, he says, Awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. See then that you walk circumspectfully, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of God is. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing to make melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for all you have done on our behalf through your son, Jesus Christ. You have called us to imitate you in our, all our actions as your dear children. You called us to walk in the love of our Lord Jesus Christ. You sent our Lord into this world to be an example for us in living our lives out in this world. We have seen the wonderful things our Lord did for us in securing our place with him. He lived the perfect life, died the atoning death, and won the resurrection victory. Help us, Father. Help us to hear your word. Help us to apply it and to follow Christ's example and make our lives a reflection of your love. For it is in Christ's name we ask. Amen. The scriptures ask the question, what fellowship does light have with darkness? The answer has to be none. You have all gone into a dark room and turned the light on. What happens to the darkness? We would say it's dispelled. The same thing happens in the darkened soul of the unbeliever when Christ enters his life. All at once, the darkness is dispelled. He sees himself as the sinner he is, and he sees his need of salvation, and it becomes very illuminated. He looks to the source of the light, Jesus Christ. 
The light is indeed the light of the world and is only hope of eternal life. So there takes place an amazing transformation. The unbeliever becomes a believer. With that transformation comes new responsibilities. What that transformation does is it it turns us inside out, if you would. It changes our heart. It changes our whole perspective on life. Paul says in Ephesians 5 that all who love God are to be imitators of Christ. The works of darkness are not to be named among believers, for only those illuminated by the light of Christ and trusting in his righteousness shall enter the gates of heaven. He goes on to make it very clear that we were all lost in the darkness, but now have been saved from it by Jesus Christ and should never return to it. Once your life is exposed to this glorious light, all of your sins are made visible and there will be no place to hide evil works in your heart. Ephesians 5.15 See that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. What does Ephesians 5.1 tell you to be? Therefore be imitators of God as dear children. How do you go about being an imitator of God? I've titled this sermon, The Believer's Life. We're continuing our examination of the believer from the book of Proverbs. From Proverbs, we find we can learn how we are to live this life as a believer in Jesus Christ. There are three basic things the believer must understand in order to be that imitator of God and of Jesus Christ. First, the believer must live by God-given principles. Second, the believer must know he has everlasting life. And last, the believer must share his spiritual life with others. When a person receives a new heart and becomes committed to Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, he takes on a new set of responsibilities. He is to live his life by a new set of principles, God-given principles. These principles will strengthen, protect, and establish him in this new life. Godly principles are the very thing that bring the righteousness of Christ to the forefront of the believer's life. Proverbs 13, 6. Righteousness guards him whose way is blameless, but wickedness overthrows the sinner. How how you live this new life, it's extremely important. You need to really think through it. How do you live it? You must learn God's principles, and you must apply those principles to your daily living. This is the way God has established to guide you through life. He gave you his word. It's your handbook to life. Read it. Study it. From it, you will find the path to reconciliation with God the Father. It is important that you understand the person who has made Jesus his Savior has only half arrived. You must also make him your Lord. It is only those who have made Christ the Lord of their lives and are allowing the principles of the word to guide them that will find that narrow gate and the winding way that leads to eternal life. 
we're told that in addition to those principles being our guide, they also give strength. I don't know about you, but strength in the spiritual realm is something I really need. Proverbs 10, 29. The way of the Lord is strength for the upright, but destruction will come to the workers of iniquity. The only source, the one and only source of spiritual strength is the word of God. Oh, there are those out there that tell you you can get strength through the Holy Spirit. However, you need to remember what John says about this in John 16, 13, and 14. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. He is saying that the empowering of the Spirit is through the teaching of the Word of God. In other words, you can't ignore the Word of God and your responsibility to study and expect the Holy Spirit to somehow magically impregnate you with strength. It doesn't work that way. You study God's Word, and with that knowledge, you grow in righteousness and become as bold as a lion in the witness of Christ. Proverbs 24, 16. For a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again, but the wicked shall fall by calamity. If you live by godly principles, you will be strengthened. There's no doubt about that. So that no matter what the temptation, nor how, how you react to the temptation, you will be able to overcome its effects in your life. That's what he's promising the reason you will be able to overcome the effects of sin in your life is because these wonderful principles of life will also protect you. Proverbs 11.6 The righteousness of the upright will deliver them, but the unfaithful will be caught by their lust. Where does the righteousness of the upright come from? Does it come from their own efforts at perfection? No. It comes from the works of Jesus Christ. Christ lived the perfect life and gave the perfect sacrifice. And now all, all who will, will hear and trust and believe in this wonderful gospel message, they will be delivered. However, you bear a responsibility, a responsibility to work at emulating Christ in your life. What does that mean? It means you go out and try to live your life the best you can like Christ lived his. What did Paul say about walking in Christ in Ephesians 5, 2? And walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us and offering in a sacrifice to God for sweet smelling aroma. Therefore, out of gratitude for what Christ has done for you, you must study his word. You must learn the principles of life he fulfilled on your behalf and apply them to your daily living. Take what Christ has given you and show it through your life to the rest of the world. Proverbs 16, 17 makes that very clear. The highway of the upright is to depart from evil. He who keeps his way preserves his soul. Here's the place where God's grace and man's responsibility intersect. God saves you by his grace and is absolutely devoid of any work on your behalf. However, 
Once you are saved, then your responsibility kicks in and you become responsible for following God's word. And as you allow his directions, they build an eternal wall of protection around you. This protection is not a part of your salvation. It's part of your guarantee of secure life in this world. Your salvation comes only by the grace that comes through Jesus Christ and never by your own works. Remember James. James said, show me your faith and I'll show you my works. Faith is a gift from God. A gift that causes you to have works to show your faith. Ephesians 5.8 For you were once darkness, but now you're light in the world. Walk as children of light. Faith is a gift from God to help build that wall of protection from the schemes of the, of the devil. Now please, let me, let me insert something here, very important. This wall of protection is not to keep mosquitoes from biting you. It's not to keep the, the dog from chasing you. This is a protection that's spiritual. It's to keep the demons away. It's to keep the devil from doing harm to you. He can't take your salvation if you've got this wall of protection around you. The last benefit of godly living we will examine is that the believer is established by God's principles. Proverbs 12, 3. A man is not established by wickedness, but the rod of the righteous cannot be moved. You've all seen the wicked prosper. I don't think anyone here can argue that point. However, the man that employs evil ways to prosper will never be established eternally through his wickedness. You all remember Ananias and Sapphira, I hope, in Acts chapter 5. They had a piece of property. And they told the disciples they were going to sell it and give the money to the church. But they devised a plot to keep a part of that money for themselves. Now please understand this. That property belonged to them. They could have come to the church and said, I'm going to sell this property and give you 50%, even 10% of the, the, the profits from it. But they didn't. They said they were going to give it all. This was a wicked scheme. And if you will remember, they paid for it with their lives. Sin cannot set a foundation for anything. It is shifting sand that brings only destruction. Paul in Ephesians 5.11 says, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. You are called. You are called to be established by God's principles and to flee the darkness of sin. The righteous, on the other hand, are always firm and secure. If we compare them to a tree, their leaves may wither under the heat of temptation. Their branches may be shaken by the fury of sin. But be assured of this. Their roots are strong because they are holding to the true principle of of life, which means they will not be moved. Let me ask you a really personal question. Does it not at times seem as though you're scarcely saved? When the storm comes and all is shaken, don't you think to yourself, how in the world can I be saved? I really believe this is a very common among true believers. I know it happens to me. But let me assure you, there is hope. If you believe and trust in Jesus Christ, 
and in Him and in Him alone. Your salvation is so secure that it is beyond the powers of hell to destroy. Does your faith sometimes faint under the persistent attacks of the evil one and his wicked minions? Well, stop and rejoice in the assurance, in the assurance that your faith, when grounded in Jesus Christ, it cannot fail. It will not fail. Oh, yes, you will fail on your own efforts, but not on your faith in works from Christ. In Christ, you're rooted, you're grounded in a sure foundation. Let the Lord, who is your strength, be your song. Psalm 62.2, he only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. Isn't that wonderful? What assurance that gives us. What a wonderful and bright prospect this gives to all who believe and trust in Christ and in Christ alone for their salvation. You shall not be moved. Ephesians 5.17, therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Apply that together collectively to all, to all who believe and you can understand why the scriptures tell us Christ's church shall prevail. The gates of hell shall not prevail against the church, nor against a single believer. No weapon that has been formed against the church or against you as a believer shall ever prosper. You will indeed, you are established by the principles of God's word as you live your life by them. They will guide you through the dark shadows of this life and will strengthen you to face life's struggles. They will protect you from the attacks of the evil one. They will establish you firmly in the family of God, guaranteeing you a place with your God in eternity. We find God's system in the scriptures and they show us the rewards and punishments in every area of our lives. If you do good, you'll be rewarded. If you do wrong, you're going to be punished. In this day and time, many people carry the results of their sins around with them. I'll give you an example. It would be the, some of the incurable sexual diseases of today. Once they get them, they're going to have them the rest of their life because there's no way to cure them. The unbeliever can carry his sins and their results right into hell with him. The believer can carry his rewards for his faith in Jesus Christ around with him right through to eternity where he will take them and cast them at the feet of his Lord. Understand, the fear of the wicked comes upon him very, very quickly. Proverbs 10, 25, when the whirlwind passes by, the wicked is no more, but the righteous has an everlasting foundation. The wicked finds that all his hopes, his pleasures, and his dependencies, all his opportunities of grace and offers of mercy are swept away in a moment of time, forever, gone, never to be returned. Such a whirlwind was the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. It will be such a whirlwind, but more terrible at the coming of our Lord. 1 John 2, 17. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. He abides. He is standing on an everlasting foundation. 
Faith has fastened the believer to Jesus Christ, fastened him to the rock of ages. It has built him upon this rock, and there is no storm that can uproot him. All men desire to have hope. Many look for it in themselves and in what they can do. It is only the Christian that can look into the face of death and see hope looking back. Isn't that a wonderful thought? Proverbs 14, 32. The wicked is banished in his wickedness, but the righteous has a refuge in his death. In this, we see the realization of eternity. Eternity for both the wicked and the righteous. Here, we see each going to his own place. The wicked is pictured as being driven away into his own wickedness. He's dragged out of this life, not wanting to leave as the criminal taken to the execution, torn away from the only heaven he'll ever know here on this earth. He has no hope of joy beyond this life. All left for him is everlasting torment. How dreadful a thing to be forced from this body to die a violent death plunged into a fire that will never be quenched. That's an awful thought. Proverbs 14, 32b. But the righteous has a refuge in his death. The Christian dies by his own consent. He dies in Christ. And he is raised to new life in Jesus Christ. Death for the believer is not a forced separation. It's not a tearing of the flesh, but a putting off of the old and a putting on of the new. Death has no sting for the one in Jesus Christ. The believer can smile when death enters the room, for Jesus Christ has first smiled on him. There is hope and courage to face this last great enemy, for beyond him is the believer's true home and his heavenly Father waiting to welcome him. The righteous have hope in death. They are going to be with their Lord, and the only way there is through the valley of the shadow of death. That is why we call it a shadow, for it means no harm for the one in Christ. My dear friends, you need to really give this serious thought. Because the only way for you to survive death is through Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Jesus came in this world to do for you what you could never do for yourself. He lived that perfect life. You can never do that. He won the he he had gave you the resurrection. I got it all mixed up now. He died the atoning death. He did that on your behalf, and then he won that resurrection victory through his his own resurrection from the grave. You can come in Jesus Christ if you will place your hope, your trust in, in Him and in Him alone. You can come to Jesus Christ. And you can look death in the face and you can see Jesus looking back at you. You can see that hope that you will be with him in heaven. In the early days of the New Testament church, Christianity was referred to as the way. Proverbs fifteen twenty four: The way of life winds upward for the wise that he may turn away from the hell below. The way is above from heaven. It is Jesus Christ. 
Jesus Christ came down from heaven to show us the way back to the Father. Fools will never see this way because their hearts are blinded by their concern for themselves. Therefore, they are ever condemned by their own foolishness to hell. Not, not so the wise. Those who see their own condition and cry out to God for help, they will call out to Jesus Christ the way, for the way of the wise is above. They are born from above. It is taught from above. Therefore, they are walking above, even while they're living in this world. Because they are wise and have sought the way, they are to live above in the next life. They are established in everlasting life through their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone. Please don't forget that. Whenever anything comes your way, when you begin to think, well, am I saved? Just go back to the fact you have placed your hope and trust in Jesus Christ and in him alone. That's salvation. Trusting in Christ to bring you home. We see the righteous have eternal hope and look to the next life for the fulfillment of that hope. But what about this life? What about right now? What are, are, are We are told to live by godly principles and to expect rewards, but how about right now? What are we here for? Why are we here? Proverbs 11.30. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. Think about that. You live this life by godly principles, relying on the wisdom of God being molded daily into the image of your Savior. This produces fruit in your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. So the righteous become, by their prayers, their instructions, their examples, they become trees of life before this world. Did you realize that? You are a tree of life. What the tree of life was in the garden, what it will be in heaven, is what you must be right now. You, you the believer, are right now in this world fruitful, nourishing, healing, and a vessel carrying salvation. It's in your pocket. You just got to get it out. Jesus and Jesus alone, who has shed his blood, can win a man to himself. No one else. But we know he has set aside men for the purpose of drawing others to himself that he might save them. This is a part of the fruit you, as a believer, are to produce. Proverbs 21, 10.21 tells us, the lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of wisdom. To live for God means you are bringing the salt of heaven, the leaven of God, and the righteousness of holiness to all who are around you. From the rich stores of righteousness comes the indwelling word, ministering to all who meet you, the peace of God, which is the soul's true and proper nourishment. That's why we're told in Proverbs 10, 11, the mouth of the righteous is a well of life, but violence covers the mouth of the wicked. 
All believers have the very words of life on their lips and in their mouths. It is your responsibility to take that to a lost and dying world. Proverbs 29.10 The bloodthirsty hate the blameless, but the upright seek his well-being. It's an evil man that will not declare the truth to those lost in the darkness of ignorance. It's a wise man that shouts the truth from his housetop and calls all to hear. And my friends, understand this. You are called to be a witness for Jesus Christ. You're to go out into the world and tell others about Christ. And I've told you before, the witnessing is very simple. Just go tell them what Christ means to you. What Christ has done for you. That's the witness. Then get them to come to church and let us preach the truth before them. So how do you go about living this out on a daily basis? Psalms 20, Proverbs 22, verses 17 to 21. Incline your ear and hear the words of the wise, and apply your heart to my knowledge. For it is a pleasant thing if you keep them within you. Let them all be fixed upon your lips, so that your trust may be in the Lord. I have instructed you today, even you, have I not written you excellent things of counsels and knowledge that I may make you know the certainty of the words of truth, that you may answer words of truth to those who sent you? You must understand this. The words of wisdom are as powerless as the words of a three-year-old without personal application. The first step to fulfilling this responsibility is to get along with God and study his word. Apply this ever-searching light of God's word to your own heart. If you try to take up religion, if you try to, to exercise the principles of God's word without a truly personal relationship with the author of that word, you're going to fail. You're going to fall flat on your face. You must know the author to fully comprehend his teaching. The truth of Scripture is the greatest, it's the wisest counsel ever given. Hear this counsel, hide it deep within your heart, and it will be your guide. It is only when it is hidden within the heart and supported by the presence of the Holy Spirit that you will know without a doubt that this is indeed the greatest knowledge man has ever possessed. Once you have hidden these truths deep within your heart, you must then do with it what God has called you to do. Now you remember Solomon, great king, wisest man to ever live. What happened to Solomon? He fell into sin. He had all the knowledge, but he didn't have the use of it. And he fell into sin. He built temples for his, his many wives of their gods, and he went in and worshipped with them before other gods. What a terrible thing. And he was supposed to be the wisest man ever. Wisdom doesn't save you. It can detract you if you don't use it properly. And that's what we're talking about here. The great commission of the church tells you what to do. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, 
I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is what you do with the wisdom that you have. You take it and you share it with others. As Christians, we're all to work at carrying the teaching of Christ to the uttermost regions of this planet. To teach everyone we find, all nations, tribes, and language groups, everything Christ has taught us. This is the outline of the believer's life. The believer must live by God-given principles and understand his hope of eternal life in Jesus Christ. He must then go into the world as the tree of life and tell everyone who will listen of the wonderful truths of God. The most important being to ever come into this world is our Lord Jesus Christ. God sent him, his only begotten son, into this world. He sent him to live the perfect life, to die the atoning death, and to win the resurrection victory. He did all of this so the price you owe because of your rebellion would be paid in full on your behalf. He paid that price so that the, the sins of all who would hear and believe on him could be forgiven and the guilt washed away. Won't you open your ears and your heart and hear his message of salvation? Won't you place your trust in him? For my friends, there is no other who can save you but Jesus Christ. Won't you believe in this one sent by God to save you? Won't you repent of your sins and start living your life to honor him? Please, do this and do it today. For today is all that you're promised. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we come before you this morning because we know you're the sovereign Lord Almighty, the one and only true and living God. Hear our prayer and grant us your mercy. That mercy can come only through Jesus Christ and the works he did on our behalf. He came and accomplished all we needed to be saved. He also, through his word, showed us the principles we need to live in. Our prayer is that you will give us new hearts and open our ears to hear those principles and apply them to our daily walk. We ask these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.